Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of The Jared White Show, recorded July 30th, 2018. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. Tune in weekly for my perspective on how individuals have the power to spark open and free communication and innovation online. This is Episode 9, which means the next one is... You guessed it, episode 10. To celebrate, I'll be doing a free book giveaway. Your choice of either Deep Work or So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Both are fantastic reads for anyone looking to up their game in creativity, focus, and impact on society. I've read both, and Deep Work in particular has had a profound effect on how I structure my day and accomplish creative tasks. So make sure you subscribe to my newsletter at jaredwhite.com. Just click follow next to my name so that you can get all the details of how to enter the giveaway. Stay tuned for how that's all going to go down on episode 10 next week. In today's meta segment, I would like to talk to you about van life and the meetup in Portland that my wife and I and our kids went to last weekend. Uh, There is a whole genre on YouTube, which I only very recently discovered, of uh, people, uh, usually young couples, basically converting vans. Uh, The Mercedes-Benz Sprinter seems to be a popular model. Um, But basically uh, converting vans into sort of like mini RVs and then uh, traveling around on extended trips for an indefinite period of time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, all these people recording videos about their travels, about their vans, about how they do basic stuff like uh, cook meals and, and do their laundry. And I started to get into it because uh, I've been looking for um, vloggers who specialize in uh, shots of the Portland area. And because I moved here to the Portland area recently and it's absolutely gorgeous. So I'm I'm sort of... Uh, binge watching anything Pacific Northwest related on Instagram or on YouTube. So, uh, so I sort of got into the van life genre and found, uh, Eamon and Beck on YouTube. They have almost a hundred thousand subscribers, uh, and they've been traveling around throughout Canada for quite a while now. And, uh, then I found out that they were having a meetup in the Portland area. So uh, so we went there in person, got to meet them, and that was a blast. It was at beautiful Alberta Park over uh, in the sort of uh, northeast area of Portland, or, well, central, east, north. Anyway, <laughs> um, look it up. But uh, it's a great place, cool place for a meetup to be had. And uh, there were quite a few uh, van life people there besides just Eamon and Beck. Uh, I counted anywhere from 20 to 30 vans. Um, And so it was uh, a lot of people that knew each other through YouTube and through that community, getting a chance to meet up in person. Um, I think a few people like myself showed up that were just fans and don't necessarily have vans of their own. Um, but are sort of interested in that whole scene. So so it was really cool. We had an awesome time. Uh, Eamon and Beck are really, really nice people. Uh, they seem pretty much in real life like they do in their videos. Um, and uh, we got to meet some other nice people that I didn't, didn't even realize were popular YouTubers until afterwards. That's how chill everybody was. 
Uh, so it was a heck of a lot of fun. And I wanted to mention it partially because uh, on this show, I've often had uh, criticism and concerns about corporate social media and how that's affecting the open web and how that's affecting uh, sort of the, the open and free nature of discourse online. Um, but this was, this was something that really highlighted the power of YouTube and Instagram to, um, you know, to sort of help uh, bring people together in a, in a positive way. You know, nobody was uh, screaming at each other about politics or, you know, the usual shenanigans you see on social media. Uh, nobody was, you know, trying to make videos about crazy dramatic stuff. Everyone was just like having a nice normal time together. <laughs> Go figure. That's possible. Um, and so it just highlighted to me like, okay, yeah, like there, there is a, there is a very positive, very awesome side to social media, um, you know, in particular YouTube and Instagram, um, and the, the way that they can, uh, sort of, uh, bring a totally disparate group of people all together around a particular topic, a particular idea, particular philosophy, uh, what have you. So, uh, so it was great. If you're interested in van life, uh, check out the link to Eamon and Beck's YouTube channel. Uh, or you can just, uh, probably just go on to YouTube or Instagram or your platform of choice and s search for van life. It's a, <laughs> it's a hashtag at this point. So, uh, it, you'll, you'll be able to find, uh, far more than you ever imagined on that particular topic. And shockingly, there is not one, but two topics in today's meta segment. So in addition to van life, the other thing I got to do over the weekend was to go see Mission Impossible Fallout. This has been one of the most popular, one of the most well-received Mission Impossibles so far in the franchise. They had a just absolutely crushing it opening weekend. Um, and with good reason, because it is a fantastic movie. Uh, it's, it's easily one of the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, it's definitely going to be on my top 10 list for 2018. Uh, and not only was the story a lot of fun, not only was it nice to see Tom Cruise again in the role, of course, uh, and some of the other uh, side characters that have been uh, popping up in various Mission Impossible films over the last number of years, um, but just the way the film was constructed just absolutely blew me away. The, the timing and the pacing you know, the cinematography, the way that various shots were, you know, staged and the angles of things. The score was absolutely phenomenal. And there's actually a link in the show notes I want to point out, uh, an interview with Lauren Balfe, who composed the score to Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, really nice interview. Um, but I, I was <laughs> as impressive and as amazing as the visuals are. I was riveted by the score. So that is clearly a highlight of this movie, in my opinion. Um, the locations were really, really interesting. Uh, you know, it's something that's, of course, sort of a staple of, of spy films in this genre. But uh, this movie, l let's face it, it's very easy to get jaded at this point. There's so many action films. There have been so many spy films. You know, there's been so many James Bond films. You know, this franchise has been around for a long time already. It, it, it very easily could have been just another movie that we go see and kind of go like, yeah, yeah, that was fun, whatever, and then promptly forget about it. Uh, but this movie just jumps out at you 
and doesn't let go. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, and apparently a lot of people have already, but if you haven't seen it yet, I uh, definitely encourage you to go see this movie. Uh, if you're uh, if you have an ear for music like I do, uh, I'm sure you will enjoy the score immensely. Um, and uh, and once again, there's a link in the show notes uh, with an interview with uh, Lauren Balf, who composed the score. Absolutely awesome. By the way, Lauren Balf also has composed uh, music for a lot of other films that you may have heard of, and even TV shows. Uh, and in particular, uh, Marcella, which is on Netflix, and um, it's it's actually a production from ITV in the UK. Um, but he composed the score for that show. Um, really interesting show. It's it's a sort of dark psychological. A crime thriller. Uh, Marcello works as a police officer in London, uh, and the the music is is this really kind of minimalist, ambient, grungy, electronic. Just just a very interesting choice of musical style that uh, I wouldn't have necessarily expected to hear in a TV show. It really kind of sets the ambiance and the tone for the whole show. Um, so I was already a fan of his from that show, and then hearing his score here on Mission Impossible Fallout. Mwah! So good. And that's a wrap for today's meta-segment, or two meta-segments, if you will. And now we're on to the link segment. E-scooters. They're everywhere. They're in all sorts of major cities in America now. They just came to Portland. It's a trial period, so we'll see how long it lasts. But um, but several companies are involved now in this pilot. Uh, Bird, Lime, and I think there might be one other, but at least those two. I tried one from Bird personally. Uh, it's my first time ever on an e-scooter. Uh, I only rode it for a few minutes because I didn't have a helmet with me and, you know, safety first, but I just wanted to see, you know, what it felt like and what the experience was. And, uh, you know, the app experience, of course, was quite seamless. It was really easy to to get going. It was easy to find one and start. And uh, so I rode it for a few minutes. Heck of a lot of fun. Uh, it was, you know, like everyone who has tried these has said, you know, it's <laughs> really quite an interesting sensation when you uh, dial up the power there and feel the acceleration it just goes boom <laughs> and you're like whoa I, i'm just standing here on this little platform and it's just like going really fast all of a sudden uh pro- probably too fast uh, i actually am concerned about the the safety of these on on busy city streets um but it was, it was a heck of a lot of fun um but the the article that i want to share with you the link here to fastcompany.com uh it's an article about the data privacy nightmare that uh, we might be facing here with all these new scooter companies. Somewhat predictably, it seems to be a thing with Silicon Valley, um, all these scooter companies are collecting every conceivable piece of data they possibly could be collecting on you, uh, you know, in, as you use these services. So you know, obviously you have to sign up to use a scooter, um, but then they're tracking your routes, you know, where you pick them up, where you drop them off, uh, how long the ride was, and... Um, you know, conceivably, they could be using all this data to come up with extremely elaborate profiles of, you know, where you've been and what you're doing so that they can perhaps uh, make suggestions in the future about, you know, places that they think you should go or things you might want to try. And 
Um, you know, that all sounds fine and dandy until you give it a little bit of critical thought and realize, wait a minute, like if I just, uh, ride a scooter to pick up some groceries, you know, do, do I actually want bird to know that I rode a scooter to a market and probably got groceries there? Like, <laughs> do I want Lyme to know that I went to a certain pub? Uh, more ominously, do we want them to know that we're going to, you know, places and, and meetups and things that could be considered uh, subversive in culture. Uh, you know, if there's an anti-government protest and you ride a scooter to it, do you want these companies to know that you have ridden a scooter to an anti-government protest? Uh, so there's a lot of privacy questions. This Fast Company article does a good job of summarizing. And, and to, to be fair, they did get responses back from a couple companies, uh, Lime and another company called Spin, um, but the responses were very vague. It was basically like, you know, we have some data, we, we have to use it for certain things to provide our services, but you know, we're not going to sell your data to anybody. And, uh, you know, we have a privacy policy. So go look at that. And I actually did I actually did look at the privacy policy of both bird and Lime. And first of all, it's very weird, because a lot of the language is identical. So apparently, there's a privacy policy template that VC-backed startup companies use because <laughs> like literally these privacy policies were word for word identical in many of the sections. Um, but the most troubling thing to me looking through these privacy policies was all the ad tech stuff that they talk about in there. You know, all, all of the tracking and all of the possible ways that advertisers might have uh, access to your data, not not necessarily to your name and email address or anything like that, of course, but sort of this uh, quote-unquote anonymous uh, style of data that they uh, sort of aggregate. So I don't know. I, I'm definitely on the fence if using these e-scooters is, is worth uh, all the privacy risks, not to mention all the safety risks. Uh, you know, you might be better off just... Uh, getting a bicycle and riding that. <laughs> um, interesting times. Interesting times. All right. So the next link, uh, sort of along similar lines here, Roku's CEO, Anthony Wood, in a recent interview, basically came out and said that if you buy a Roku box, you know, to plug into your TV to get all the smart content from Netflix and YouTube and Amazon, all those different companies... Uh, if you buy one of their boxes, uh, it's not really what you're buying. You're, you're basically just getting a thing. And Rock, Roku now is using you as the product and selling your attention to their real customers, which are advertisers and content producers. So you are the product, as the saying goes. <laughs> um, once again, we have a similar story here, as we keep hearing, of a Silicon Valley-style company a tech company that's essentially just using user engagement to sell ad product. All I can say is, you know, be be careful, you know, think these things through. When you go to buy that next smart TV, that next TV box, you know, think through what you're actually buying. Are you just buying a piece of hardware that you can use like a tool or are you buying into an experience that someone has created so that they can sell your attention to third parties? At the risk of sounding like an Apple fanboy here, I will point out that the Apple TV is essentially just there to provide you with the typical Apple experience. They don't do ads. They're not trying to use you to sell anything, sell uh, ad tech to anybody. 
Um, obviously, Apple wants you to buy content from Apple from the iTunes store and so forth. And they, you know, they want you to uh, to be able to use the the partner companies that they are highlighting, like Amazon and Netflix and so forth. Um, but I trust Apple way more than I trust anyone else to protect my privacy, to protect my data, to not start engaging in slimy business practices around advertisements and so forth. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind as we roll forth in this glorious new age of the smart internet TV. On a lighter note, what is it with millennials and plants? Seriously, what is it? What's the deal? What's the deal with millennials and plants? I don't know. I haven't the faintest idea, but apparently this is a thing. <laughs> I saw a link to an LA Times article just recently that was about this, this apparent phenomenon of millennials being really into plants. Uh, and then I ended up just going on to DuckDuckGo and doing a search. Just type in millennials and plants. In fact, I put a link in the show notes for that very search. And there's a whole ton of articles. The New York Times, The Washington Post, Jezebel.com, Cosmopolitan.com, in The Independent in the UK. I mean, I don't know why, but apparently <laughs> everyone in the media in the last couple years has uh, felt pressured to put forth an article about millennials' plant obsession. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a real thing. I don't know if this is really a movement or if this is just another one of those millennials and X style articles. There, there's, there's so many of them. I, I just got to laugh. I'm sort of an elder statesman of millennials, I guess you could say, because uh, they usually say like anyone born in 1982 up to the year 2000 is considered a millennial. Uh, and I'm right at that higher end of the age. So uh, so I'm an older millennial. I'm not quite as hip as the hippest of the hip millennials. Um, but, uh, you know, I like houseplants. I've, I've usually had one or two in my immediate vicinity. Um, but uh, I'm certainly not obsessed with houseplants. And I can't say uh, friends in my age range that I've had have seemed particularly obsessed with houseplants, but um, but if you're a millennial and you are absolutely crazy bonkers in love with plants, uh, please let me know. I'd love to understand this phenomenon in greater detail. Um, and if you, you are a millennial and think this is just crazy pants and you don't know why this is a thing, uh, I'd love to know that too. <laughs> and if you're not a millennial, I'd love to hear from you as well. Basically, I'd love to hear from anybody. Uh, you can just easily go to my site, jaredwhite.com, and send me a message and let me know what you think about this plant obsession thing. Uh, I don't know. My particular opinion on this is that it is just another Millennials and X style article that everyone puts out, but who knows. All right, my friends, and for the last item of the day in our image segment, I have a link to uh, a page by Ricky Friedrich. I hope I'm saying that right. And uh, it's basically called The Current State of Web Design, and it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I don't want to describe too much about it. You, you, you really just have to go visit it for yourself. Um, but it's uh, sort of a, a loving critique of uh, some of the ills that plague web design today. So I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, it's, it's one of these things that, um, you know, you, you visit it and you think it's one thing and then you quickly realize it's something else. And <laughs> that little twist there is what makes it humorous. So uh, 
So check that out and let me know what you think about that as well. And that's it for today's episode of The Jared White Show. Thanks for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already, uh, please, please go and subscribe to my newsletter at jaredwhite.com. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, you will enter into a book giveaway. So, uh, so what have you got to lose? Uh, so we'll have details on that in the next episode, episode 10. But in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye.